Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today, we are joined by Alex Palmer. Alex is a highly accomplished marketing executive and currently serves as the executive vice president at WPIC Marketing and Technologies. With extensive experience and a strategic mindset, he drives growth, fosters client relationships, and leads innovative marketing strategies contributing to the company's success and its position as an industry leader helping brands successfully expand into Asia. In our conversation with Alex, we get valuable insights into his recent trip to WPIC's offices in Japan and China, as well as WPIC's latest initiative, the APAC e-commerce accelerator program. The program is designed to help brands expand into the Asia-Pacific region efficiently by taking care of the complexities of the supply chain, customs, financial reconciliations, and taxes. We also talk about the importance of having a reliable partner to manage operations in the region and highlight the significance of human relationship management skills in the future of business in Asia. Enjoy. Consumers are savvy. Consumers are very savvy. So they're researching ingredients. They're researching the true, not just, you know, what is the marketer in this brand say this product does, because what they say it does and what it might actually do can be sometimes a little bit different. But we're seeing a group of consumers who, who are continually educating themselves with experts, right? Digging into papers, listening to podcasts with doctors, truly taking you know an interest in their own health and wellness and betterment. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. First of all, where are you in the world that we're recording you from today? Uh, Today, I'm at my home in St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, That is the east coast of Canada. To say the least. Yes. (laughs) Conveniently positioned to get to APAC. Right. That is... Couldn't, and that's tug-in-cheek there, folks. That is absolutely tug-in-cheek. Yeah, couldn't be further. Couldn't be further. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of background on that. You know, WPIC has our, our main operations in APAC, um, so much going on in APAC, but the reality of our business is all of our clients are in the West. They are in Germany, they're in uh, Denmark and Norway and the UK, and then all across North America. So every time zone from CET uh, all the way to PST in North America. So Central Europe to to PST. EST here in North America is pretty much smack dab in the center of that. So it's pretty conveniently located to really do uh, what I do, which is is work with all of our brand partners and and portfolio manage um, everything that goes on here. Yeah. So that's a good segue. Tell us a little bit more about your role and what you do with WPIC. 
Yeah. So executive vice president, I guess I can kind of wear any hat and do anything, but really portfolio management. We've got a large and growing portfolio of brand partners that we operate uh, some some portion or the entirety of their either China or Japan or Southeast Asia uh, commerce activities. Um, so managing those partnerships, obviously relationships, uh, commercial terms, um, you know, team resourcing, how do we collaborate, just nuts and bolts of the day-to-day cadence, communication, um, making sure that we're all understanding uh, the mission and the goals and, and how we're going to get from A to B and B to C. Um, so I'm really acting as a portfolio manager, a conduit to all the resources that WPIC has available and trying to kind of work the, the Rubik's cube that is uh, kind of matching up um, the right people on the right project and, and people with, you know, diverse time zones and different business cultures and languages. And uh, it uh, can be a bit of a puzzle, but that's, uh, that's why I love it. It is, it, it is a puzzle and it is a Rubik's cube for companies that are expanding. Those are exactly the, the types of, of hurdles and difficulties that they now face, you know, which is, which is why WPIC is positioned where they are doing what they do and having people like yourself on the team to help with that stuff. Now, you just got back from Japan and China. Tell us about your trip. Yeah, it was an excellent trip. It was a whirlwind. Uh, two weeks, um, you know, getting there from uh, Atlantic Canada is not a short journey. So starting with the journey and uh, um, touching down in uh, Narita uh, in Japan was uh, exciting. It's been um, it's been quite a few years since before COVID that I, uh, you know, touched down in Japan. So that was really exciting um, to see the Tokyo skyline, get back into Tokyo, just the hustle bustle of the city. Anyone who's been there knows and and loves it. That's why (laughs) we love to go there. Um, It it was an excellent trip. There are a lot of people, a lot of team members that have been with us through the pandemic that, you know, we hadn't been able to see face to face for quite some time. So got a good uh, amount of FaceTime in uh, just with the people, with the teams hearing about, you know, their experience and uh, building those relationships up that had migrated to pretty much exclusively teams and Zoom calls over, you know, months that turned into years, um, which was which was tough. But the resiliency of the of the team members and people in general, I think we all see that coming through COVID. Um, so really an opportunity to get uh, back with the teams and back in the market and just feel uh, the vibe of the city again. You got to do some fun stuff over there, I heard. Tell us about some of the activities that you were doing, some of the places that you went. Yeah, I mean, business is good. So seeing all the clients is fun. Um, a lot of good client interactions, people um, kind of getting back into the market. So um, business is good, but out, outside of business, um, also Obviously, Japan has so much to offer. Um, took in an NPB baseball game, which was um, a bucket list thing for me. I'm a big baseball fan here from North America, but uh, it's it's got you know mythological status uh, in Japan as well. So I'm a I'm a proud Saitama Lions fan now. I had to pick a team, uh, Lions fan. Um, 
that was great. Uh, hit a few, uh, well, sh- I mean, shopping, just the retail is amazing in Japan. Just walking the streets, um, seeing the, uh, the vibrancy, everything kind of come back to life. Um, I'm a golfer. I hit a couple of golf shops. They're, they're golf crazy. So they've got excellent golf retail for any golfers out there. If you're looking for unique things for your, uh, for your kit, that's a, a good place to go. Is Hanma still a big brand over there? Hanma is big and getting bigger. Um, yeah. And, and more and more premium. It seems more and more premium with every passing year. It's, uh, it's crazy to see, a you know, you think a $1,000 driver, oh my goodness, that, you know, how could it get more expensive? But then you see the $2,000 one sitting right next to it. You go, this is crazy. What's next? The $10,000 one. And then lo and behold, it's like got gold plates on it and it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, Hamna's they're, they're doing an excellent job. Talk about like great brands, uh, great product strategy. Their group of ambassadors, almost exclusively, um, LPGA, uh, players. So really interesting, really interesting kind of approach to, to their brand and their marketing. Well, those are two big sports in Japan for sure. Uh, I think, you know, the, I think the world's greatest baseball player right now, Shohei Otani, you know, he's from Japan and obviously Japan has been doing really, really well on the LPGA and the PGA, just some amazing golfers. And, and it's been kind of cool to watch some of the locally homegrown brands like Honma really start to make an impact on the, on the global markets as well. So, you know, good for them. Uh, that's been fun to watch. And, and I've, I've swung a few Hanmas and, and they're really, really nice. There's no yeah. question. They're right <laughs> up there with, you know, your Titleist and Pings and TaylorMades for sure. But aside from that, tell us more about the WPIC APAC e-commerce accelerator program. Uh, give us a brief overview of what it is and, and what you're doing with it. Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a culmination of a lot of different initiatives. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time building capability in China, which is our core uh, and kind of first market that we really um, got into and then galvanized as a, as a really great product offering for our partners. Um, and as uh, you know, I, I think about how did we get, how did we get here? Why are we doing this? Um, I think a, a thread that you could draw through the arc of the WPIC history is that, you know, with every uh, request from a client or challenge from a client, tough problem that they haven't been able to solve. I think we've always, um, always gone up to bat to, uh, to try to take a swing at solving that problem. And, um, that has led us into doing kind of one-off initiatives in Japan, in Southeast Asia, in South Korea, um, because of the, you know, they're all tangent, um, from a supply chain perspective and a geography perspective to China. And we've got this big muscle, uh, muscle memory built up in China that we can extend a lot of the same logic um, to the other regions. Now, of course, they come with their own nuance, language, um, localization, preferences, consumer demographics, all these things are different. Um, although a lot of the basics uh, still apply e commerce basics, supply chain basics, customs, financial reconciliations, tax, right? We have the back end to deal with all these things already. So the thinking really was uh, and is that um, if you want to approach the APAC region, uh, you can do it in a high efficiency way. There's a lot of efficiencies of scale associated with um, 
say, integrating supply chain. So having a single source of inventory that sits in a centralized APAC uh, warehouse. doesn't matter whether it's going to Korea or it's going to Japan or it's going to Singapore. Um, these, these supply chains and fulfillment networks uh, can be you know, really ironed out by our team. And then people on the brand side don't have to worry about how do I fulfill to the Philippines? How do I fulfill to South Korea? Um, we can take care of that complexity. Really, all they have to do is get us the inventory. Um, and, and then from a program management perspective, we can look at the region as a whole, um, even start to you know, allocate media budgets, right? And media budgets across APAC, we can have months that are really important in China, 618, 1111. And then in Japan, their super sales uh, times are different. Um, so every region's got their own kind of seasonality, uh, seasonal kind of flavor. So shifting around media budgets, uh, moving around inventory, this is really core to uh, the efficiency gains that come with an APAC accelerator. And then layer on to that all of the, all the things that come with just knowing a brand, brand management, brand localization, marketing strategy, stakeholder management, you know, um, reporting, planning, consolidating these things instead of doing it four or five times or however many times you're going to do it across the region with different partners or with your internal teams. Um, we try to consolidate that. Let's look at APAC planning. Let's go up a, let's go up a layer uh, and really look at APAC as a region and then have our specialist teams break it into uh, its constituent parts. Is the fact that the area seems, I think, from an outsider point of view, it seems very broken up. Like it mm. just seems, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong. And I've, as listeners will know, I, I lived for for quite some time over over in Asia. You get the sense that let's take Europe and Asia. Europe seems like a place you can go and consider it as a market together, even though you know different languages, different borders, different cultures, but it seems like an easier entry as an entire region because the feeling is that Asia is really, really separated. That's what I want to talk about, how the perception is that Asia is so different, that Japan is so different, that you can't do Japan and Korea at the same time, you have to do one and try to just focus on that one and only do that one because there's going to be so many things you need to learn. And then if you want to go and then open up Korea, well, heck, you just got to start from ground zero back to the drawing board and redo it all again. My first question then on that is, is that some of the thinking or the perception that WPIC may have been hearing and understanding and dealing with its clients that led to actually building something like this accelerator program that helps them understand and 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 actually mobilize to get into those places much more easily yeah it 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 does seem like and i would i would say it is a region that has a a ton of nuance and a ton of difference um i mean i touched on them language culture right they're they're from Korea to the Philippines, they couldn't be more different. Japan, China, extremely different. Um, 
So from a marketing perspective, and and I mean, devil's in the details, devil's in the details. So we're not going to, you can't employ the same strategy in Korea that you do in Japan or Japan to China or China to Singapore. They're not, the marketing strategies are all different. Um, but what is not different is that geographically they're relatively um, close together and, and easily accessed from a physical perspective. So supply chain, like number one, um, moving of inventory, pretty, pretty fluid, pretty seamless. Um, where it does turn into parallel paths and, and to your point, do you have to like do projects like end on end on end? Are you going to like open China, then open Korea, then open Japan, then open Southeast Asia? Well, I mean, if you were one person yeah. <laughs> trying to do it all at once, then then probably that's how you would do it. But uh, of course, you know, you're not going to get a team in China to do the brand localization for Japan. Um, you're going to get a team in Japan to do that. So to do these things in parallel, um, there is a ton of efficiency for for the brand side because in a like really practically speaking, day to day nuts and bolts of getting a, a project done like this. Um, our goal really is to um, give the stakeholders on the brand side a list of what we need. We need your product information. We need your company details. You, we need your trademarks. We need your brand assets. We need your brand Bible, uh, the guidelines that we can work within. Um, and once we have all of that, the same things are going to go to each team in each region, and they're going to start localizing for their region. Uh, then we're going to talk about a supply chain strategy. Send us the uh, the inventory. We'll centralize it. We can shoot it out as needed uh, from there. So really, the goal for me personally and for my teams has been to figure out ways to make this easy. Figure out ways that we can ingest one time all the information that we need to do everything we need to do. And then under the covers, I mean, I, I don't want to make this sound like a simple, like, you know, silver bullet to like, you know, <laughs> getting rich in APAC because it's not without work. But what we try to do is take the work on, um, on our side, because, you know, I, I think as much as a financial investment as global expansion is, it's as much a bandwidth, uh, investment and people, um, who are doing really good business often are money rich and time poor. And if you're in a situation where you're time poor, but you've got capital to allocate uh, to market expansion, um, you know, a good partner can go a long way. So that's really where we're seeing the successes um, is in, you know, making it easy, trying to um, take the lift on our side. I mean, we do all the work, brand makes all the decisions. That's what we try to um, interface with. Um, so, you know, presenting designs, presenting budgets, presenting marketing strategies and KOL plans and influencer plans, um, social media posts, right? It should be uh, pretty easy for them to look at it, say, yeah, it looks good. Let's do it. Um, and then we can carry on kind of parallel and all of the teams in each of the regions are doing their work. Call that the project and then roll it up to a program um, that's a whole APAC program. That, that's the goal. And that's in practice how it, how it works. Are there aspects to what you're doing that you own and maintain long-term 
And are there parts of this that over time you can now hand that those activities and those operations back to the client once they've start to build that that muscle memory uh, or just that muscle in general? Or, you know, how how does that work as far as the relationship of the brand with WPIC and their participation in the accelerator program? How how does that go? Everybody's different. Every case is different in um, people's ability and and desire to really scale um, in an infrastructure sense in in different markets. I mean, really, practically speaking, if you're going to start hiring people in markets, you need to have a business license. And if you're going to have a business license, you're going to need to pay tax. And if you're going to pay tax, you need financial, right? So just the, the business infrastructure builds and builds and builds the more presence that you want to own yourself. So, I mean, really the arc of, of it is in an entry, you can make the entry pretty low, low barrier and, and relatively low cost compared to starting business entities and hiring people and getting offices. Um, by going with a partner and then as the business scales, you show it as a, as a profit center and a, a revenue center. Um, then you can start to make the decisions and, the, and we see the brand start to make decisions around timing. When is it time to get a Japan corporate entity? When is it time to get a China corporate entity? When's the time to establish a little office? Maybe it's a WeWork, who knows? Um, and maybe they just, maybe their first employee is a social media manager because their brand is, near and dear to them and they want to have someone who's like full-time dedicated and can be fully immersed in, in, you know, the, um, social media management of their brand. Um, that's that, you know, every flavor, every, every variation can kind of exist and uh, case by case, but you know, it's, it's logical steps and scaffolding to, um, kind of opening up a market and then scaling within it. It sounds like it became because it was very customer led, not in that I think customers were asking for this. It seems like WPIC started to recognize these are the things that customers are worried about where they just have failure to launch. They're just not taking the first step because of XYZ. Just correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like brands were A, just having that fear of launching or taking that first step that you wanted to really kind of help them feel comfortable to be able to do that. You know, hey, let's just not throw you out of the plane. Let's go tandem and I'll drop the whole way with you. Or that there were pieces and parts that you could see customers struggling with that you thought, you know, hey, listen, like we can actually do this pretty easy. We can probably just gift you. You know, there's things that we can teach you. And then there's things that we can just do for you. And then that's going to make everybody happier. So you're really seeming to just lean in on helping customers decide and do, and then make it better and more efficient and, and obviously more successful. Yay or nay? Yay. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And they, the, the, on the client side, they learn by virtue of watching how it's working. Uh, you know, some people want to manage at a spreadsheet level. Some people want to get in there and understand why this KOL, why that social media post, why send the inventory to that warehouse and not this warehouse, right? And they, they'll learn by, by watching and participating in the decision-making processes. Um, there's, a, there's a natural, you know, 
um, transfer of, of knowledge and technology that way. Um, and, and it's totally natural to, as a business gets bigger to expand, you know, want to bring things in house, want to outsource certain things. And, um, every business has preferences, right. For, for how they want to do that and time horizons, you know, the next three years partner after three years, let's bring it in house. I hear that all the time. Right. And that's, that's cool. That's like, what a, what a. Uh, excellent opportunity. I, I had a, a CEO of uh, the the China uh, division of a Fortune 100 uh, just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Shanghai. She was talking about um, what she needed from me, and she said, "Look, I got I've got a company that's acquired too many businesses, and I don't have I don't have the ability to launch them all in the way that I would want to." And she's like, "I have too many babies." that I've been just gifted too many babies and I don't have the time and energy to raise them properly, nurse them, feed them, change them, make sure that they're properly educated and they grow up to be viable businesses, uh, in the middle to long term. And she's, you know, fully transparent. She says, what I need from you is to get them through their early days and early years. But know full well (laughs) when they, when they turn into a, a teenager, uh, I'll be taking them back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's cool. And that may or may not happen by the time well, it gets there. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about three, five year time horizons in 2023. Like who, who knows what 2026 or seven is going to look like. Um, but those are opportunities for us that we love, right? I, you know, to lean in and start something from, from zero. Um, those are the challenges that we have, you know, wanted to, wanted to take on. Um, and that we do kind of, uh, pretty routinely. Not to dissuade any companies or brands or product verticals from making the leap because everybody should, mm. but may I ask for some examples of verticals that are really primed and anybody listening in those verticals should probably really consider it uh, because they should and could do really, really well, especially with the accelerator program. We're seeing a ton of success uh, for businesses in anything connected to health and wellness or um, personal betterment, personal growth, exercise, um, you know, looking good, feeling good, being good. I think that's a real coming out of COVID, something that people globally are a little bit more conscious of, you know, how much they're drinking, a little bit more conscious of what they're eating, uh, trying to exercise. And all of that uh, is, is, is the same in, in China and Japan and Southeast Asia. Um, what I am seeing as huge successes right now are, are businesses that have some type of true competitive edge from a product perspective um, when it comes to some type of tech. So we're like probiotics, supplements, skincare, uh, hair care, um, really great exercise equipment, high design, you know, stuff that's super functional, looks great, you know, you're proud to own. Um, all of that is doing really well. Uh, and, and consumers are savvy. Consumers are very savvy. So they're researching ingredients, they're researching, um, 
you know, the true, not just, you know, what is the marketer in this brand say this product does? Because what they say it does and what it might actually do, you know, can be sometimes a little bit different. But um, we're seeing a, a group of consumers who, who are continually educating themselves um, with experts, right? Digging into papers, listening to podcasts with doctors, um, truly taking, you know, an interest in their own health and wellness and betterment. Um so, so products and, and groups of uh, products, who tr- the product truly has a, a differentiator and some type of technological or design or, you know, utility-based, you know, advantage. People love that, obviously. Um, and maybe I'm biased. I'm a product guy. So maybe. I would, I would maybe. typically say product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a difference? And is, is WPIC... And the accelerator program positioned in in a spot to help the fact that the way that consumers educate themselves, consume content, shop, compare, research, even payment methods, is that so fundamentally a standard deviation from what happens in North America that you know, these were all just more feathers in the cap and reasons why, listen, you really could use a partner. It doesn't happen. Your your gut feeling on trying to read your audience and read your customer base and feed them what they want, where they want it, how they want it is, is so quite, I don't know, like I said, different than what it is back home, that this is another, just another spot where having a great partner that can handle and educate and understand and even do in the interim for the brand. Is that why it's so important? Totally. Totally. I look at four gaps. There's four huge gaps to cross here when you're going to APAC. Um, you mentioned payment, payment gateways, technology, apps. I mean, my latest trip to China, um, I think one concern I do have is international tourism Uh, going to China because the technology gap is so wide for someone who doesn't have a Chinese bank account, doesn't have a SIM card for a Chinese phone number to get there, show up and then try to buy something or book a train or get in a car. Um, That's, that's a a huge gap to cross. Um, So the payment gateways, that's gap number one, technology platforms, the way the web works. Um, It's, it's super uh, wide for China, but it, it also exists in Japan. It also exists in, in Korea and Southeast Asia, different platforms, different payment gateways. So a lot of nuance, uh, the language gap, obviously, um, you know, you're going to deal with that. So not just translation, but localization of everything you do, but then also just how do I collaborate with people? So you need bilingual, multilingual program managers, which is everyone on my team <laughs> is, yeah. is, uh, is, is at a minimum bilingual and then potentially multilingual, uh, business culture differences, just, you know, simple things. Like when I, before a meeting, I want to get a pre-read, you know, that's just a part of business culture in the West that we we just all get. Um, so like making that standard practice is, uh, is important and, communication, fluidness and communication, flagging, you know, negative things, you know, there's cultures, business cultures that will hide negative things, right? That's just, 
that's a recipe for disaster. So really integrating business culture. Um, and then a practical one is time zone. How do you, how do you manage a business from eight time zones away or 12 time zones away? Um, there's just not enough hours in the day and not enough gas in the tank for an individual to, uh, think that they're going to do the posting or fulfill the orders or like whatever from North America. Um, those are the big gaps that I always talk about. So language, time zone, business culture, technology. Um, I mean, I focus day to day on just trying to get, you know, bridge those, bridge those, which it's tough. It's tough. Um, but that's, if, if you can find a partner who can do that, um, pretty reliably, then, you know, that's a, that's a good partner for such a, for such a tricky region to enter. It's a tricky venture for sure. Um, mm. you, you definitely wouldn't climb Everest on your own, honestly, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you, you mentioned your day to day, uh, and you joined WPIC during a, a time of tremendous growth for them. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the work that you've been doing to, to optimize both WPIC's internal operations, as well as the WPIC customer experience? I mean, bridging these gaps. When I came into this, I just, you know, I've got a system thinker mindset, system kind of builder uh, background and skill set. And I was looking at these really challenging um, gaps to bridge and thinking, how are we going to do this? And um, it's been uh, three going on four years now. And we've we've done uh, a really good job. And I'm really proud of the team to, to have um, built so much in that time to really, um, take a lot of the, the landmines out, take a lot of the road noise and the, you know, the speed bumps just out of the relationships. Um, you know, we've, we've focused on, um, communication, information, sharing, uh, collaboration, cadence, right. Just trying to get out of trying to get out of situations where maybe surprises are going to come up. Um, people, you know, any situation where someone doesn't know or feels like they're out of the loop or feels like they don't know is just a recipe for someone to be building anxiety. So good stakeholder management, work out loud, update early and often, right? These, these simple things that you can build into the way a team operates. Um, so that's, you know, that's a mission in its, in itself, if you're working with one team and one group of stakeholders and then to do it scalably across, you know, 50, 60, 70 groups of stakeholders with different scopes of work and different, you know, one person's doing a Japan project, one person's doing a China project. We got someone trying to, you know, tackle all nine at once. They're, they're all different. And, um, to do what I was mentioning, uh, in stakeholder management and really, uh, fostering collaboration at scale that, that means, you know, we got like, there's, there's, uh, you know, 15 pods of, of teams all working on a, you know, handful of projects and to do that at scale, that's a, a different system type, um, challenge, which, uh, you know, as I think about it, I, you know, it's a, it's a people business that really the bedrock of our business is HR. They don't get a lot of credit. It's not the, <laughs> um, thing everyone talks about most, but, you know, hire great people, train them, keep them motivated, um, is, uh, is, is key to, to successful teams. 
to all you kids out there who are all studying computer programming, don't sleep on human relationship management skill development. That's, totally. that's all I got to totally. say. I remember a famous investor, kind of one of the ex kind of PayPal mafia guys that came out of Silicon Valley talking about, yeah, his daughter's learning how to code, but she might she could be learning Russian or any other language. It didn't matter. That was just a language. What he was really focused on was her understanding of human behavior uh, and customers and relationships and how to develop and build those. The UI UX design was going to become a commodity. Programming could likely become a commodity. We've already seen it with things like Wix and Squarespace being able to just drag and drop and build your own stuff. Human relationship management kids, that's the stuff you want to focus on. That's what's going to keep you employed or or keep your business alive (laughs) in the future. So a little PSA from me to you on that. But um, Alex, Alex Palmer, WPSE Marketing Technologies, Executive Vice President. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Yeah, likewise, Todd. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Okay. So a reminder for everybody who's listening to us on the audio version of the podcast, don't forget, go to the WPIC YouTube channel and catch Alex and I on video there. For all of you who are watching on video, don't forget, we have the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It's all there. But for me and for Alex and for everybody at WPIC who puts on this show, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.